Alleluia, Christ is risen. He, he is risen indeed. Alleluia. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he has given us new life and hope. He has raised Jesus from the dead. God has claimed us as his own. He has brought us out of darkness. He has made us light to the world. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia! Alleluia! Good Resurrection Sunday to you, my friends. We welcome you to this very unique way to celebrate the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ over our sin and death. Hallelujah. We're not able to gather in the sanctuary of Creston Church today with our usual celebratory worship traditions for this special day. However, many people have participated, as you'll continue to see, in order to fashion this 2020 Resurrection Sunday worship service into what we pray is a very special opportunity for all of us, together, while apart, to rejoice in God's goodness to us. And now, people of God, once again, we proclaim, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And our God greets us today as we celebrate together. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, church family. It's Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ is risen today. Let's pray. Creator, Redeemer, and Comforter, you alone are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. During this time of uncharted craziness in our lives, we ask that you be with us. May we empty our minds so that we can lean into who you are in our lives and that Jesus came. He died and has risen so that we might have eternal life. Alleluia, alleluia, amen. Thank you. 
Friends, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen. And that is good news. We're going to worship him together. We will sing, Oh, How Good is Christ the Lord, or in Spanish, O Que Bueno es Jesús. We'll sing it two times, first in English and then in Spanish. Oh, how good is Christ the Lord, and the cross he died for me. He has pardoned all my sins. Glory be to Jesus. Glory be to Jesus. Glory be to Jesus. In three days he rose again. Glory be to Jesus. People of God, please join me in this prayer of confession. Almighty God, in raising Jesus from the grave, you shattered the power of sin and death. We confess that we remain captive to doubt and fear, bound by the ways that lead to death. We overlook the poor and the sick and pass by those who mourn. We turn our backs on the oppressed and abuse the earth you made. Forgive us, God of mercy. Help us to trust your power to change our lives and make us new, that we may know the joy of life abundant, given in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Amen. Our assurance of pardon today comes from 1 Peter. We know that we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for our sake. Through him, we have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that our faith and hope are set on God. Good morning, Creston Church. This is the time in our service when we continue our worship with our offerings, giving from what God has provided for each of our households, so that together we can sustain the ministry God has called us to. That offering supports us continuing to pay the salaries of our staff who are creatively continuing to serve and minister to the people of Creston Church to support the various programs and ministries that are led by our staff and members to maintain that building that one day we will again gather in as well as contributing to the broader work that happens through the world because of our participation in the work of our denomination. Today, our special offering is for Abraham and Elaine Lee, who serve as missionaries with Resonate Global Mission in Mexico. They, like us, are trying to adapt their many ministries to online formats so that they can continue to serve seminary alumni doing ministry all around Mexico. The deacons would ordinarily come forward and pass plates up and down each row, but you can still give by mailing a check or cash to the Ministry Center at 1343 Buffalo Avenue Northeast, Grand Rapids, Michigan 49505, or by having your bank automatically send a monthly contribution. We are grateful to follow a God of abundance who faithfully provides for our needs. My friend, it is a comfort to know that God has been present with us through yet another week of upheaval in our lives due to the ongoing pandemic. Undoubtedly, this turmoil is going to continue for some time to come yet. 
God cares for us in many ways, and Creston Church desires to come alongside of you to extend God's care. Be sure to refer to our emails to find out about whatever assistance we and others can offer to you. It is our practice to uh, celebrate and share prayer concerns and thanksgivings. And so we're going to, I have a couple of them to share with you. First of all, um, before we get into them, remember that when I say, Lord, in your mercy, you may respond with, hear our prayer. First prayer request we have is that uh, Jen Publis's dad will be having a scan on Thursday, April 16, to see how his cancer has been affected by his alternate medications. And they ask us to please pray for peace and a positive report. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And the second request that we have is uh, in regards to Betty Horbath. Her jaw is re healing well, and the next step in her treatment plan is surgery to remove some bone from her hip to be used to graft into her jaw. The surgery is on hold now due to the coronavirus. And so please pray for patience for Betty and Jeff as they wait for this, and also for general good health for them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Here's a God story. One of the lectionary passages for today is Psalm 118, which has 29 verses in all. And this past week, our children were prompted to memorize verse 1 and 24 of Psalm 118. Listen to how it goes. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And verse 24 this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's a wonderful sighting to uh, watch our kids doing their best to hide God's word in their hearts, just as some of us grown-ups have been doing during these past weeks of Lent. So come on, kids. Let's say those two verses together right now. You can join me. You ready? Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His love endures forever. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. People of Creston, will you join me in prayer? Holy God, we come to you in this happy morning to celebrate Christ's victory over death, his emergence from the isolation of the grave into the life of community with his disciples. We praise you that Jesus is now seated at your right hand, advocating on our behalf. God, in this time, we feel close to the tomb. We turn on the news and hear of rising death counts. We fear the spread of disease. We are isolated from the communities and rhythms that ordinarily give us life. Walk with us, Lord, through this valley and remind us of your resurrection promises. We thank you that the cold cloudiness of winter is giving way to spring for the dazzling blue sky and the brilliant trumpeting daffodils, for the annual reminder of the earth's cyclical turning from death into life. We thank you for your faithfulness in all the seasons of our lives. We pray for those among us who are expecting new life in their families. Please keep those expectant mothers in good health. We pray for those who have recently welcomed babies. May they continue to grow strong and healthy. We pray for the children whose routines are disrupted, who are missing time with friends and teachers at school. Help them to find ways of connecting and learning. We pray for the young people in our Roots youth group and thank you for Anna's leadership in gathering them to study your word online. We pray for parents who are bearing many responsibilities. Please give them grace and patience. 
We pray for the residents of the Najoni House and other intentional communities who are expecting an intense time of connection in unexpected ways. We pray too for those who live alone and find themselves isolated in new ways. We pray for those who continue to work as healthcare providers, keep their energy and spirits high as they continue to provide care for those most impacted by this virus and protect them from illness themselves. We pray too for those who are delivering mail and packages and groceries. We pray for those who are adjusting to working from their homes and for those who have lost work. We pray for those who are living in retirement homes and nursing facilities. We pray for Dort Call and Jeff Bauman, Don and Beverly Chapel, and Elaine Morris, Phil Marcus, Dorothy Dieters, and Ben Maul. And Lord, we especially lift up Henry Barlow and Fran Wurst, who are receiving hospice care and cannot receive visits from the many family and loved ones who long to be by their side as death draws near. We lift those who struggle with chronic illness, those who've been fighting cancer, those who struggle with mental health challenges. And God, on this day when we celebrate the pinnacle of your good news, we lift up those who followed your call to bring that good news in other parts of the world. We pray for Abraham and Elaine Lee, who remain committed to their ministries in Mexico, supporting seminary alumni and coffee break ministries. Be with their daughter, Naomi, who could not return home from her studies in Korea. Bless their family and their efforts to support those whom they have come to know through their work. We pray for Micah Sherman, who remains in Costa Rica, where he's begun teaching Greek lessons online and meeting virtually with his church youth group. Be with his mother, Janet, who has a severely compromised immune system. We pray for Andrew and Ruth Ippel, who remain in Nicaragua, committed to teach and minister to the community at Nicaragua Christian Academy and Tesoros de Dios. We pray for Scott and Lisa Newman, who remain in Lithuania, committed to teaching and serving students at Lithuania Christian College. We pray for our leaders, the president, governors, lawmakers, as they make decisions that are impacting millions of lives. God, as our world faces this health and economic crisis, the disparities in normal life are more pronounced. Millions of families are struggling to put food on the table for children who usually receive nutritious meals at school. Millions are incarcerated because they were too poor to pay bail and now are confined in close quarters where disease spreads rapidly. Black residents in Michigan are dying at a far higher rate than other groups due to environmental racism that has resulted in higher rates of asthma, diabetes, heart disease, and hypertension. Access to quality health care varies by zip code and income level. We pray that our leaders would imagine new and creative ways to rebuild our society after these crises have passed. We pray that our world might more closely reflect your kingdom, in which all people bear your image and are valued in your sight. God with us, Emmanuel, comforting Holy Spirit, be close to all of us in this time when we may not be close to one another. Be now with Pastor Beverly as she opens your word for us today. May your spirit speak through her and open our ears and hearts to hear what you have prepared for each of us to receive. In the powerful name of the risen Christ we pray. Amen. Today I have a children's message. So kids, it's your turn to get real close to the screen so that you can see the pictures that I brought with me. You might even be able to see them in a separate document on uh, your computer. So here's the first picture I have to show you. It's a cemetery. And a cemetery is a very special place. When people die, we put their bodies in nice boxes 
and we put them very carefully down in the dirt under the ground. Then we cover up those boxes with dirt and grass and sometimes even pretty flowers. See all these big stones? Someone comes along later on and carves the name of the person on a nice big stone and then puts that stone right above the nice box with the person's body. That way we know right where everyone's body is in the cemetery. We call each of those special spots a grave. This is a picture of one of those nice stones in that cemetery that I just showed you. Early one Easter morning, a long time ago when I was a teenager, my grandma died. I called her Nana. We put Nana's body in one of those nice boxes. And then we put that box down in the ground in the cemetery. This is the nice fancy stone that shows where the bodies of my grandma and grandpa are buried in those nice boxes. Her body is still in there, along with my grandpa's body, who died quite a few years later, who I called Papa. These are graves that were used when Jesus was here on earth. They are quite a bit different. They have doorways or openings that are carved out of a rock. And when a person died, their body was wrapped up in a special blanket and would be carried through the opening and laid gently on the floor or on a bench. And then some helpers would push and roll a great big stone on right in front of the opening. The Bible tells us that Jesus only stayed dead for three days inside of his grave. And then an amazing thing happened. He became alive again. His body is not in the cemetery anymore. That is so different from everyone else. Everyone else who dies stays dead in their graves, just like my grandma. Here at church, we have lots of special days, Advent, Christmas, Good Friday, and today is another one of those special days. It's Easter. Easter is the day that we celebrate that Jesus is alive again, so that someday we can live with him after we die. It's about the most special day that there ever could be. When Jesus was alive, people went to worship on Saturdays. But Jesus came back to life on a Sunday. And so now, ever since then, we come to worship on Sundays instead of Saturdays. That means that every Sunday we can celebrate Easter, the day of the week that Jesus came back to life. So last Sunday, we celebrated Jesus coming back to life. Today, we're celebrating Jesus coming back to life. And next Sunday, we'll celebrate Jesus coming back to life. And the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and every single Sunday, we'll celebrate that Jesus has come back to life. I hope you'll keep thinking about that all day long today. Thanks so much for listening. I'm looking forward to getting to know all of you someday very soon. going to take a look at God's Word for a little while, and so I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 20 is what we're going to read from today. 
Gospel of John. Give me a moment to find that, and then we will pray together. God of life, your spirit raised Jesus from dead. Your spirit inspired the prophets and writers of scripture. Your spirit draws us to Christ and helps us to acknowledge him as Lord. We ask that you will send your spirit now to give us deeper insight, encouragement, faith, and hope through the proclamation of the Easter gospel. Amen. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So... Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord! And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Cemeteries are special places. The bodies of my dad, father-in-law, my stepfather, and my grandparents are buried in cemeteries. The body of my miscarried baby is long ago decomposed in some septic system in northern Michigan, a different kind of cemetery. I've also stood in countless cemeteries at the gravesides of friends and other relatives. You know what it's like in cemeteries, too. Not long ago, I'm sure a number of you have stood in some of these quiet places after the death of your loved ones. Even if it's been a while, the memories can often stay very fresh in our minds. Cemeteries can be sad places. 
After the dirt has been shoveled into the hole, we head back home and the stuff of daily living. But often we like to go back to the cemetery. Sometimes we're overwhelmed with sadness and our tears drip onto the marker. Sometimes we pray, sometimes we walk around, sometimes we sit, and sometimes we put our face right to the ground. Sometimes we don't know just what to do, but somehow it helps to be nearby the body of our loved ones. A cemetery. The, the events of the first Easter begin in a cemetery. It's been a horrible few days for the friends of Jesus. From different vantage points, they've watched. He was arrested at dusk on Thursday because of the betrayal of their fellow follower, Judas. During the course of the overnight hours, Jewish leaders conducted a hasty trial. They found Jesus guilty of blasphemy, of claiming to be God, punishable under Old Testament law in Leviticus 24, with death. And then these friends looked on from a distance as Jesus was brought to Pilate, to King Herod, and then back to Pilate again. And don't forget that horrible whipping in between trips, the painful crown of thorns, and the cruel mocking and spitting. By early Friday morning, Pilate handed down the sentence for Jesus to be crucified. That terrible, long, drawn-out, cruel, inhumane, and cursed death sentence and process of suspending a person between heaven and earth on a cross. For six hours, the friends of Jesus watched helplessly as their teacher hung there. When the end finally came at three in the afternoon, darkness, an earthquake, curtain tearing in the temple, and dead bodies coming back to life all added to the confusion of these grief-stricken friends of Jesus. Since the no-work-allowed Sabbath was coming soon, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took care of making sure that Jesus was properly buried in a nearby cemetery while his close friends still looked on. Saturday was long, a long, sad Sabbath. But the law required them to avoid doing anything excessive, including visiting the cemetery and the tomb where Jesus was buried. That would have to wait until the end of the Sabbath, after sundown on Saturday. Mary Magdalene can't wait any longer. Her heart prompts her to go to that tomb where Jesus is buried. Her great sadness drives her to get on her way out of the city of Jerusalem while it's still pitch dark outside. She can't bear to leave that dead body of her teacher and healer unattended anymore. She just wants to be close to him, even if he's dead. Mary probably had a lantern of some sort to light her way in the pre-dawn darkness, so she carefully makes her way to that tomb where she had watched the men gently carry Jesus inside. She remembers the shape of that huge rock that they put in front of the opening. She thinks that will be a nice place to just be for a while, thinking about this man had done so much for her and for many others. But look, that great big rock has been moved away. Mary can see the opening of the tomb. How did that happen? Was there someone else lurking around in the cemetery up to more mischief? 
She's guessing that somebody probably stole Jesus' body since that huge stone isn't blocking the opening anymore. This is no good. She's got to get out of there. Let someone know fast. Peter and that other disciple, John, would be best. They'll know what to do. Plus, they're strong enough to put the stone back where it belongs once they check things out. So Mary runs as fast as her legs will safely take her in the dark streets of Jerusalem. Peter, John, come quickly. Someone took Jesus out of his tomb. I don't know what they did with his body. As dawn approaches and there's a little more light, it's Peter and John's turn to do some running, even in the midst of their own grief. They've got to take care of this. Someone can't just take away the body of their beloved teacher. They're driven by their sadness and discouragement over Jesus' death to get to the bottom of what Mary told them. So they leave Mary behind to make her own way back to the tomb, where she eventually just keeps looking everything over, trying to find something to encourage her. John gets to the tomb first. He stays right outside, looking in. When Peter finally gets there, he's determined to get a better look, so he heads straight inside, going right past John. The only thing in that tomb are some pieces of fabric. That long piece that was wrapped all around Jesus' body is still all spread out. And then that smaller one that was on his head is off to one side, all folded up. But one thing is certain. There's no dead body here, just fabric. The tomb is empty. Peter sees nothing else. When John finally gets up his nerve to come in and take a look, he sees the same thing only fabric. And there's not a body to be seen anywhere. An empty tomb. John doesn't see anything else either. Sometimes it's hard for us to see very much to be happy about or encouraged either. Here we are on Easter Sunday in 2020. And none of us are in our own Creston Church Sanctuary. All because of the terror of COVID-19, this Easter Sunday is like no other. Usually we'd all be at church on Easter, this high and holy day. The sanctuary would be beautifully decorated. The music would be fabulous. We would share in all those wonderful church family traditions together. And maybe we would have special plans for later on in the day. And yet here we are on Easter Sunday, ordered to stay in our homes so that the spread of the disease can somehow be stopped. This and so many other aspects of this challenge has great potential to make us sad and discouraged. Just because it's Easter doesn't mean that everything immediately gets fixed with this pandemic. Perhaps for you, the checkbook doesn't have enough money in it to pay the bills. Some of us struggle with health concerns there are people that we have difficulty in getting along with. We wish all of our loved ones would understand and share our faith in Jesus Christ. We've spent some of our own time at cemeteries. We're challenged by negative feelings about ourselves. We're often lonely. There are lots of things that make us sad and discouraged, even if it is Easter Sunday. Where should we look? for some happiness and encouragement. 
And then there's our constant source of frustration, our sin. Admitting this means being seriously honest with ourselves. If you've been part of Creston Church or any other Christian church for a while, you know that unless something is done about our sin, we face eternal death and eternity outside of the loving presence of our God, Father, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit. If you've not ever heard or thought about that before, don't miss this. The punishment for our sin is eternal death. It's what God demands, punishment or payment for our sin. Whether we like to admit it or not, we are all sinners. The Apostle Paul helps us put our frustration with our sin into words this way in Romans 7. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Wretched man and woman that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Fear, sadness, discouragement, eternal death. Where do we look to find encouragement? Almost a dozen times in our text, we read that Peter, John, and Mary are looking. They're seeing. Peter and John see the same things. Fabric pieces where the dead body of Jesus used to be and nothing else. Peter doesn't quite know what to make of it. He'll still need some time to do some thinking in the days to come. And when John sees that fabric and nothing else, he believes. He believes that Jesus is alive. He's the very first believer. Somehow, God prompts him to come to this belief, even though Peter and John aren't able yet to make sense of all the scriptures that told that Jesus would come back to life. Faith and belief come before understanding for John. His seeing is believing. We can tell that Peter and John still have a lot of thinking to do because after they finish looking into that empty tomb, they just go on home. A very sad, weeping Mary finally takes her own turn to look into that tomb through her tear-filled eyes. And she sees angels right where all that fabric is, right where Jesus' body used to be. Except for the fabric, it's obvious that everything else connected with Jesus is gone. The tomb is empty. You can hear the comfort in the words of the angels. You can hear the sniffles in Mary's voice, too. She just wants to know where Jesus' body is, because it's not in that empty tomb. And the next thing that Mary sees is a man that she thinks is the gardener. Maybe he put the body of Jesus somewhere else. So she begs him to tell her where. Instead, this man says just one comfort-filled word. Mary, this isn't the gardener. This person knows her name. Mary knows that voice. It's Jesus. Mary says just one love-filled word back to him. Rabboni, my teacher. Of course, she's so amazed, she can't help herself. Jesus is alive. She starts hugging Jesus, thinking that she doesn't ever want to let go of him ever again. But Jesus gradually and gently unwraps her arms and says, You'll have to stop holding on to me. I have more to do. I'm returning to my father before too long. So you go on now. 
You have more to do too. Tell the rest of the disciples that I'm going up to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary gets on her way to find the disciples. She tells them about her final looking experience on that early morning visit to the cemetery. I have seen the Lord! Mary Magdalene was the very first person to see Jesus after he came back to life. The tomb is empty. Four simple words. Two very different ways to say them. The tomb is empty. Or, the tomb is empty! In our text, John and Mary look into that empty space and they conclude that Jesus is alive again. It would not be very long before Peter also would get that figured out. There's not too much proof. An empty tomb, empty grave clothes, several sightings of Jesus and conversations with him, and no eyewitnesses of the actual rising or resurrection itself of Jesus. But God enables these three, Peter, soon enough, John, and Mary, to have enough faith to believe that Jesus was alive again, even if they don't fully understand what they're seeing. More understanding will come later through the Holy Spirit. At the end of the chapter in our Bibles, John writes in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The followers of Jesus looked at the many amazing things that he did, they saw that the tomb was empty. They remembered everything that they could, and then they wrote it all down. And now, even though we're sitting here 2,000 years later in our individual homes, we can take a look at that empty tomb too through the eyes of Peter and John and Mary. John tells us for one purpose only, so that we too might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the only one who can take on the punishment for our sins and survive God's wrath. But John's reason for telling doesn't end with just believing. His reason for telling about everything that he and the others saw is so that we, 2,000 years later, can have eternal life instead of eternal death. So we look at that empty tomb, perhaps for the first time for some of us today. There's just barely enough to go on in order to believe that the empty tomb means that Jesus is alive again. But it is enough. There's no reason to doubt that this risen Jesus is the one who is powerful enough to cover over and erase the punishment that could have been ours. After all, he came back to life, overcoming this greatest punishment ever, God's eternal wrath over sin. Many of us are looking at that empty tomb today for the umpteenth time in our lives. What about that? John writes, so that we may have life. Life isn't a single moment. It's days and days, years and years, now in this life and after Jesus comes again. Do we just look at that empty tomb and say, Check. Got that. Believe that. The Heidelberg Catechism helps us get at this a bit in the resurrection kind of language of question and answer 90. 
What is the rising to life of the new soul? It's this. Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. There's action here. There's growth here. It's looking. It's believing. It's learning. It's telling. It's doing. Here at Creston Christian Reformed Church, that takes place in a lot of ways. Let's take delight in encouraging someone who is looking at that empty tomb for the very first time. Let's take delight in being part of a Sunday school class, a small group, equipping ourselves to do every good kind of good work, stretching ourselves spiritually to follow and grow into his footsteps, and into the footsteps of those who over the centuries have shown us the way of the empty tomb and all its benefits. By pressing on in our spiritual journey, we learn more and more about what to do with all those other sad and discouraging things in our lives too. Things like financial worthy, worries, health struggles, relationship challenges, our loved ones' lack of faith, death of people that are close to us, depression, loneliness, and yes, even this terrible virus that's invisible. God's Word gradually nudges us to deeper, deeper understanding of how to depend on Him even in these very hard times. We've looked and we've seen today in God's Word that Jesus is alive and that we share in His life by believing in His name. The tomb is empty. Jesus lives and so do we. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray together. O oh Lord our God, you have given to us the glorious gospel of our risen Savior and Master. Grant that as we joyfully receive the good news of the empty tomb for ourselves, so may we gratefully share it with others and ever give glory to you by whose grace alone we are what we are, through the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
people of Creston Church, the tomb is empty. Jesus is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Now what do we do? Keep on looking at Jesus. Keep on believing in Jesus. Keep on learning from Jesus. Keep on telling others about Jesus. Keep on doing that all that Jesus has called you to do. But we cannot do any of this on our own, but only with God's blessing, his good words, his benediction to you this morning from Revelation chapter 1. People of God, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.